audience, uh, welcome again to uh, Advance Pretend. And if you're new to the podcast, our tagline is the creative adult is the child who survived. And um, I, we're close to episode 20. This might be 19. I couldn't get it straight in my head. But I am so pleased to introduce um, a gentleman from Washington State, specifically Skagit County, um, Edison Washington, and his name is Andrew Valley. I really hope I got the pronunciation right, because <laughs> that's what it looks like. <laughs> okay. And Andrew is a purveyor of a gallery in Edison that is um, uh, pretty well known on the Skagit County art scene and in northern Washington in general, kind of um, kind of adjacent to that Whatcom County as well, which I'm very much in love with. And um, Andrew is an artist who works in multiple mediums. He is a sculptor who works in bronze and also paints and um, does collage. And well, welcome to Advanced Pretend, Andrew. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's, it's uh, a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for reaching out. Um, we got connected through a friend. Um, anytime I can mention Liz Park, <laughs> there I go again. It's almost like she's a sponsor. <laughs> I feel like every artist I know has some, met Liz at one point or another. I don't know. I'm, we're just connected in so many ways. And now I'm connected um, to Andrew um, through Liz and so pleased to be so. Um, I was looking through your background and um, I want to speak right away to your attraction to creating furniture and go, kind of going through the process of um, really elevating your skill set by attaching to, you know, mentor in your own area. But prior to that, as a child, um, you were drawn to the work of George Nakashima and also his philosophy, which is very much in line with um, kind of a celebration of nature. Um, I'm so fortunate to be talking to artists all the time who just kind of lead, follow nature's lead and kind of want to be in her grace. Um, let's talk about that right away. I'm so intrigued by all of this and, and your kind of, um, attraction to, to that. Okay. Um, so we're talking about my attraction to nature in my work. Yes. Um, and, and the influence of Mr. Nakashima. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, they're kind of one in the same. George Nakashima was, a he lived down the road from me and I was, I was best friends with his grandson, Misha. Uh, for those of, uh, of you listening that don't know, George Nakashima is a, was a, a world-famous uh, furniture artist, and, and he developed this, this entire style of you know, what we know, now call live-edge furniture, and that, that's really rooted. He's Japanese-American. Um, he was actually uh, interned during World War II in Idaho. Um, he, was, he was brought out of that internment camp and, and moved to... Pennsylvania, he was sponsored out of it. To get back to his work, you know, his work, he was very connected to Japan, although, you know, he lived most of his life here. And so it's a, that Japanese influence, um, mm -hmm. you know, has a, a lot to do with nature and a respect for nature and just seeing the, the beauty in nature. So that was sort of um, the basis of his work. It's what really elevated him as an artist. Um, at the time when I was 12, 12 years old, I didn't really understand just how famous he was and, and what a opportunity and experience it was. You know, I was just there running through his shops, just having fun as a, as a kid. But what, what soaked into me, I think, from that relationship is 
you know, that just was a normal thing. I was like, oh, this is a life you can have. You can, you can be an artisanal furniture maker or an artist because there was many artists around. And uh, so that was just a huge influence on me. You know, New Hope, Pennsylvania is a place that's just an hour and a half maybe outside of Manhattan. So there were world famous artists, not just George, but others that were, were in my area. They would, they would come and visit our school sometimes. Um, you know, and in fact, we had an, a very famous artist came to our school one time. And I don't remember a lot from my childhood, um, but I specifically remember being in second grade and he came and he talked to us about art and he said, it took me 17 years to learn how to use the color red. And that's just stuck with me to this day, but that that's what it is in a lot of ways to, to be an artist is to understand something like that. Um, and it, it was just like, okay, so that's, that's what it takes. Right. Um, there's a lot to be said about learning to speak a very specific language uh, when you do um, kind of embrace <laughs> being creative, not just for a living, just by being passionate about something that feeds your creativity. And I do want to I do want to speak to um, how nature continues to influence what you're doing just um, as a whole. I'm going to read a quote to you from uh, from Nakashima. Um, and I think even now in conversation with you that we haven't really met one another before. I and even looking at your art, I can see there's a especially the bronze. There's a flow that only those lines are specifically fed by nature. I mean, there's no getting around how organic they look and how fluid and such a beautiful reflection of, of our environment. And so from George Nakashima, instead of a long running and steady battle with nature to dominate her, we can walk and step with a tree to release the joy in her grains, to join with her, to realize her potentials, to enhance the environments of man. That's a great quote. And, you know, I've read most of his books, so it's been a while. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he sums it up um, really well that, you know, nature is, is somebody to, to collaborate with and certainly not to attempt to dominate. Um, that's going to end badly, as we all know, as we look at uh, the state of our environment in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, and it comes back to to how I work as a, as particularly a wood sculptor. When you're working with with wood, you know there's no blank canvas there. You have no choice, and that's the joy in it that you are collaborating with nature. Like you said, you are reading the grains, reacting to that, and and you have to work with the grains. Um, there's technical reasons for that. Um, you know, if you make a sculpture and you design it the wrong way, you may have short grain. Um, in an area where if you make it thin, it's just going to break off like nothing. Mm -hmm. But you're trying to do that same thing and you follow the long grain, um, your structure, your, your piece will have both um, physical strength, but it'll probably also have a, a more visual and aesthetic strength because you're, you're sort of following that grain. And that's something people often comment about my work is that um, I, from what they say, I have an ability to sort of work with the grain read the grain and then use the grain to enhance what it is I'm, I'm trying to do. Right. And 
in your experience with wood, do you have a favorite? I mean, if it, <laughs> if you're looking at a project and you're like, well, if I could only make it in this material all the time, but I can't afford it all the time, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, being a person that has been involved in, in wood um, my entire adult life, I've, I've worked with wood. Right. Exclusively. That's, that's been my, my life is, is working with wood and learning everything about wood from, well, starting with George in a philosophical sense. And then I did an apprenticeship with an, an incredible, probably one of the, one of the best woodworkers in, in the country, if not the world. And all I did for a year was, was sand wood. And that and, was, that was local to your area, right? That mentor. Yeah. That was out on Lummi Island, right. which is an island with a short ferry ride. You know, and even traveling out there was a journey through nature. I mean, I went on the water every single day to get to this beautiful uh, remote island just full of nature. Um, and then I went into a, 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 a loud <laughs> wood shop where you're, where you're definitely um, removed from nature, but you're learning this. I learned this skill set that to this day um, is fundamental to my work. Even though it's really sanding and finishing is what I learned, um, that still flows through my, all my work, and it's something people compliment me on. And you know, I do have an ability to to sand a piece of wood beyond what people understand can be done, where the clarity of the grain really comes through, and I know the right type of finish to put on that, so it enhances the grain and the figure in the wood. Uh, and to answer your question about what what woods I, I like. Um, I really just work um, for the most part in woods that are local to me here okay. or, or local um, to me in Kauai, where I also um, live. Yes. Yes. I'm actually fascinated by your, um, your focus on Kauai. And how long has that been going on? Um, well, I've been visiting Kauai um, for, you know, 15 or 20 years. And, gotcha. And- Love the place, and, and finally there was an opportunity for me to to own a home there, um, and so we did that. And then since I've been a person that lives there, I mean my connection to the island, more so even the, the people of the island. Like I have a lot of friends there that they're fourth generation Hawaiians, you know, born and raised on either Kauai or the or the Forbidden Island of Niihau, which is just off the coast, where you know my friend Hilton like. He spearfishes, he hunts, I mean, he could survive on a desert island like easier than he can survive, you know, in a city, that's for sure. So there's a tremendous um, harmony and balance with nature. Um, right. So, yeah, that, yeah, so, I never had a chance to go um, to visit Kauai. I've been to a couple of the Hawaiian islands, only one, I guess, now that I remember. <laughs> but, but at the same time, Kauai... Um, it presents it's a draw and it's rawness and it's wildness. Um, and it's so compact in this tiny area of nothing in the Pacific ocean. And what is there is so rich. And I can only imagine how the wood is shaped by that environment, that it, that really thick rainforest. Interesting too, that you're in the Pacific Northwest, which is rainforesty in its own way. <laughs> and then you're bouncing over to the tropics, which is just so lush and um, just amazing. And then that regard, and so what are you, and so you, you've, you've kept going back over and over and, and that's feeding, um, that's feeding your art and, um, on my intent, almost like tangible ways, intangible. Yeah. And, and really in both ways, I mean, I'm as equally influenced by the artists that I've, I've met there 
um, both the uh, artists like Hilton that are working in traditional ways, but then there's there's the island is full of contemporary artists that they live there and work there, but their work is shown all over the world. You know, okay, so they're just so hanging out in paradise and showing all over the world. So I was kind of surprised. There's there's hardly a single decent gallery on the island, so everybody has to get their work kind of off the island. I mean, there's a there's a handful of places that are that are okay, but it's it's not a you know, a contemporary art scene, um, you know, you're kind of limited in the focuses that you need to have to be in these galleries. And, and you also need to be, you know, a, a Hawaiian, not a native Hawaiian, but like someone who lives on the island. Sure. More so than I do. So I don't really attempt to show in those galleries. Right. But it's a huge influence on me. You know, I have an upcoming show. Uh, yeah. Which, and it's called Trans-Pacific. Um, and what that show is all about is, is the, the connection that we have in the Northwest to, to Hawaii, but even to more specifically to Kauai. Um, you know, many of the, the shells you can find in Kauai, well, they have shells that are almost identical here. You know, um, here we call this particular one a limpet. You know, little guy, they stick to rocks. In Kauai, it's an opihi. Um, and they're they're edible and they're delicious and I never really knew that but my friend Hilton has taken me out and taught me some things about gathering and and um, you know we pop those things off the rocks and eat them and then they're part of my sculptural work I you know they're a, a piece that I've done carvings of um, you know I I do a lot of I do a lot of shells in my work sure you know, for, you know this is this is an, an oyster here so this is very northwest nice. So uh, look is, at the contours on that thing. I love it. Yeah, originally carved in wood. Right. Wow, uh, yeah. So this is the rough side. And then the inside of these shells is usually shiny. So the inside is, is polished bronze. Oh, the whole wow. thing is bronze. Patina on the outside and polish on the inside. And, Gorgeous. And it has a, you know, a pearl that I made. Wow. Put some iridescence on there. And I, I oversized it. You know, and this piece is called Edison. Um, mm. and, and it has a lot to do with my relationship to this town and what it's meant to me. And that's why there's a giant, a giant pearl there. It's, it's gratitude for all that Edison has, has done for me over the years. Lovely. And so your wood, your experience with the wood feeds directly into the bronze work. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, only, yeah. I, I only, I work in wood and then I will have pieces cast in bronze or sometimes glass. Um, so the, the textures of the wood, you know, they, they come right through. So the media, the material changes, but it still has that wood-like quality. I see. Yeah. And you can kind of tell, I'm thinking of Deborah Butterfield right now. Yeah. Um, right. And then, um, it's just as alluring though. I love that. Um, like you don't hold back on the shine though. Like you, <laughs> there yeah. are, there's two sides, you know, I love that aspect yeah. to it. Um, I love the the shine in contrast to the yes. roughness that that you'll have in shells and, and other things as well, um, and that's just something I, I like. It's part of my aesthetic. Um, in a lot of things, even in music, I appreciate it. You know, back in the in the '90s, you know, that was a big thing. It was this, this quiet and then loud, and and I I like that. I like that friction that exists there between the between two things. Right. Definitely. Okay. I love this kind of segue maybe into your use of um, spray paint, which, 
when we talk about the media, it's cans. Um, but, um, you know, the subversive nature of, of using that medium, um, it presents itself in an archaic way and, uh, you know, and in a graceful way in some ways, but the origins of it are so subversive, Andrew. And I want, I want you to speak to the subversive quality in your own art when you're using that medium. If, you know, if you're feeling that way about it. Well, sure. You know, I've, I've got to, let's see. Um, well, so here's a piece that it's, it's, it's not subversive, but I am using cans to create it. And so, you know, I'm not a very subversive guy. You know, I've right. never gone there and put up a throwy or, or climbed up a bridge. I mean, I've got <laughs> a friend who's been teaching me a lot about using cans. I mean, he was part of the L.A. underground scene. And, you know, he went to L.A. County Jail for two weeks when he was 18 years old because he was out there making art. Um, I have a piece behind me. Yeah, I was really digging that. You know, so, you know, there's more of the geese behind me, which, which sort of relates more to what I'm known for as an artist is, is nature. Um, not so much painting, but I'm breaking out painting this time. But, you know, this, this piece, for example, is, is very different from what I, I typically do. You know, and as a sculptor, that I've been working in sculpture for, um, you know, 15 years working in wood for 30 or 35 even. Sure. Um, I was starved for color and speed. And the cans, you can go fast, it drives fast, you can move fast, you can use stencils, you can do all these things and all this color. And that's why you could write colors. It's sort of a reaction to the other of the other side of my artwork, which is, is very different than that. Again, right. maybe it's to do with the soft and the loud that I enjoy. You know, my sculptures are very quiet and very subdued. Yeah. Uh, and then some of my, my you know, work in painting is, is the opposite of that. And I think, you know, a piece like this that fits into that category. And, and I've done a bit of other work that is kind of a lot more outlaw that, um, you know, <laughs> decided whether or not I'm going to even show it or not because there's, there's issues with it and in it that I haven't sorted out whether it's something. Right. And it's good to take risks. I mean, putting yourself out there is the whole point, but then being able to switch in between themes or trying to grasp um, onto a new theme that, you know, just came to you. And why not follow your instincts regarding color, even though the geese behind you are really like digging how, um, how the paint presents on the surface, the way you're using it, it looks like acrylic and charcoal. <laughs> or something yeah that's great yeah you know when i started with the geese they were just like a hundred different colors layered one upon the next um and, and some of those were quite successful but then i decided that i wanted to do this series where i where i limited myself in 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 what i was going to do and um you know that's a little bit of the discipline that you need in sculpture sometimes my paintings get too wild and they and they fail. Though there's no such thing as failure in art. You know, you can fail in, in a piece of art, but there's going to be at least one good thing in that in that piece that you can build on for the next piece. Um, right. Or so having having learned a skill from making the quote unquote mistake, which I'm against that word, but <laughs> there are break there are breakthroughs in falling down. Absolutely. Yeah. Done you gotta in, learn from yep. that. I've, I've done a lot of it over the last year. So. Oh, nice. Good. And I want to also speak to the shadow um, kind of quality of what's um, 
behind Andrew in this recording. Uh, our YouTube uh, episodes don't usually release uh, in, in Congress with the audio, but eventually, <laughs> at the same time, don't forget to go to um, Andrew's website, Smith and Valley Gallery in Edison, Washington. And and so you're in partnership with um, Matt Smith? West Smith, yeah. West, West Smith. Smith, I'm so sorry. I'm so yeah, terrible. Yeah. And um, and you are in partnership not just with the gallery, which represents many artists and um, uh, wonderful contemporary mediums, but also in partnership in cabinetry making. Yeah, you know, we yeah we started um, a wood shop together 26 years ago, and at that time our focus was you know back to the furniture making. So it was it was on making you know artisan furniture and we did that for a number of years and, and had some success there and had a museum exhibition um and but then you know as time went on we became more and more interested in architectural interiors and and took our our company in that direction um and and got more interested in the business side the manufacturing side you know people don't think of the creativity that's involved in that but you know my creativity it has been a, a big part of that, that um, building a business that's based on making a product that you're proud of, but it's it's also about making making money and employing people and giving them a good life and an opportunity to learn in, in a really good work environment. We really focus on that. I mean, our employees are, have the best benefit package of of anyone in in Washington, and they're some of the highest paid workers around. Nice. Well, you enjoyed some success together and, you know, even, and especially with the gallery, um, now Skagit <laughs> County. So I have wonderful memories of Skagit County. And in fact, I, I was born in Tacoma. I think you learned this from listening to some of the episodes, but I was born on McCord Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. And um, then I later on lived in Northern King County and then Snohomish County as an adult but I went to one year of high school at Seaholm in Bellingham wow. and two years of middle school at Whatcom Middle School. <laughs> so, you know, when I think about where you're at, I, it just, it, it's really got a piece of my heart up there. And and I do remember too, how much I loved um, the Western Washington University campus, which is where you matriculated. That's true. Yep. That's where I went to um, university. Right. And what, so what drew you out here um, from, uh, Pennsylvania. Coast. Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. We moved my fa my father retired from the Navy, but he wanted to be still near a Navy base for all the, um, you know, the benefits that there are with that. So right. we moved the family out to, um, Whidbey Island, not far from here, uh, in 19, you know, 85. Uh, and, and I loved it. I loved being out here in the Northwest and, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, that he did that because I, I ended up out here and, um, you know, I'm, I'm still here and I just, I just, I just love it. Um, yeah. It kind of sticks to you out there. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I do, uh, still consider Washington, uh, one of my homes, I think both of us having grown up in the military, you have to understand as you grow into an adult that you have the freedom to choose where your home can be. Um, whether it's based on your experience as a brat or not. Um, but there is a choice involved because life 
life did not say to you, these are your roots. This is where you are. This is where you stay. This is where you go visit your family. This is <laughs> this is where you see your old high school. No. <laughs> I have no problems, you know. Well, I'm, I'm married now. And, um, you know, my wife grew up in, in Alaska. Nice. Uh, and you know the the same the same town her whole life. So she went. She still knows people she went to kindergarten with. And like that's an insane concept to me. I mean, I don't even know people that you know I, I went to junior high school with. Right. Or I couldn't find them. You know, I remember them, but I could never find them again. Let alone elementary school or kindergarten. So for right. me, I could I could pick up and move and move anywhere. I would never do that now. I absolutely get back to Edison a little bit. I absolutely love Edison. And Skagit County for the most part, yes. because it's got all this natural beauty. But Skagit County also has a huge tradition in the arts. I mean, this is the home of the Northwest Mystics, the first artisans from the Northwest or artists from the Northwest to make it big on the world scene. You know, there's a famous article written in, in 1950 on Life Magazine, in Life Magazine, that that made these guys famous, and they they went on to have huge careers. You know, big names, people that are canonized really um and so that tradition still exists in Skagit Skagit County for being predominantly a farm town or farm county has this this um huge um culture of appreciating art and buying art and supporting art so it's it's an interesting mix and and something that you know and Edison was really in many ways the epicenter of that some would say LaConnor in Seattle but it, it was kind of First LaConnor, then then everything kind of moved to Edison. You know, it's a long it's a long story, but it's an it's amazing one, and it's very uh, relevant to to why I'm here. I mean, I'm in this town because I showed artwork at a gallery, the same one that showed a lot of these mystics, Northwest mystics, um, back in the day, and that's why I'm here. I mean, my life has always sort of been guided by and revolved around art as an adult. Nice, and, and then I mean, I've maintained a studio practice and been prolific for the most part since I was 12 years old. I mean, I've had dozens and dozens of studios. I've never gone anywhere or lived anywhere. Even when I lived in my truck in Alaska, I had a, a mobile studio with me. I never stopped. Right. Oh my gosh. You're so driven to um, experience what you're, you know, kind of like depicting what you're seeing at all times. Yeah. And the artwork's always, always about, you know, <clears throat> where I'm at. Um, you know, in this day and age, other things can can come at you through the through the media and all that, and and I am influenced by that too. You know, I, the biggest influences in my art are nature, but you know, I've also been really drawn to like fashion magazines because it's fascinating to me. Like that's the cutting edge of a lot of things. You know, you can pick up on a lot of trends. I'm not necessarily a trend follower, but I do follow them and and allow influences such as that, which is completely disparate from from what I do studying nature and doing nature here but you know I like to um you know push push the envelope personally as much as I, I can right and it's also about how how we as humans occupy the space I mean you know nature's right in our face in so many places I, I live in Teton Valley Idaho which is right across Teton Pass from Jackson Hole Wyoming so I'm relatively close to the wild um, but even when you're at in Skagit County, I know the populace is, <laughs> continues to grow, but it's right there too. It's super tangible. On the other side of the coin, it's like, how do we occupy space in other regards? And, you know, culture, it's always a reflection of who we are in some ways. 
And looking to fashion is no different than looking to film in, in many ways too. You know, um, it's like, who's thinking ahead? You know, who's being shouted out for being uh, so forward thinking? And and in these um, genres that have existed for ages, you know, and can still have something that's um, worth grabbing onto. Yeah, most mo- certainly, you know, um, yeah, I think it's just something, you know, you've got to, as an artist, be open to things that will expand your mind, expand your creativity. You can't be afraid to take chances. You can't get too tight. Maybe don't be too loose either, but you know, you don't want to, you don't want to tighten up and that'll, that'll restrict your creative drive. Um, and so that's something I try to, I'm not afraid to do different things. You know, a gallery will often want you to do the same thing that, that you've had success, success with. And, and that's fine. Um, and you know, you have a brand, right? Um, I have a bit of a brand, but you know, I'm going to push that brand a little bit and, and maybe I'll be an artist that's sort of known as my brand is that, you know, well, you're going to see other things like, yes, I'm carving bones and birds and feathers and things that aren't particularly challenging, but I just might get an old TV set and paint it gold, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, right now I'm re-articulating an entire cow skeleton that I brought back from Kauai, collected all the bones, got an entire cow. It's going to be gold. It's called the golden cow project. And it's going to take a year or more. And some of it will be from wood and, and all that, but it's, you know, it's very far from, you know, doing um, a simple, beautiful piece like, like an oyster. Yeah. Right. And so the bones are from Hawaii. Yeah. And so how easy was that for you to get them here? Uh, it's kind of a good story. Um, good. <laughs> yeah. The, the bones came from, I have some neighbors um, where, uh, and then they just bought a, an agricultural property, maybe five minutes away from our homes, um, you know, in, in a residential area. And um, they said, Andrew, you know, you know, you're a sculptor and we've got all these bones and you just got to come see what it is. And I, and I, and I thought there was going to be like a, a cow carcass. A you know, bone. It, <laughs> you know, it was where the local butcher had put his carcasses for, I don't know how many years. There must have been 500 or more cows there, you know, and they were all picked clean because this was a long time ago that they were put there. And um, they're all cleaned by beetles and pigs and all the rest. Um, they're just a little dirty. So I went in there, started pulling them out and started working on piecing them back together. And eventually I had to bring some friends in that could help me do this. Um, and we, we got almost every single bone. We had to get research materials and we got all the bones. Um, and then, yeah, how do you get them back to get back to your initial question? And I was going to, um, you know, build a, um, a crate and ship them back, which was going to be expensive. And then one of my friends was like, man, why don't we just go get, um, suitcases at the thrift store and we'll just all bring them back as our carry-on and then I looked at the size and I was like yeah you know four carry-on bags could, could probably not carry-on I'm sorry four you know um check bags oh sure sure so we loaded up four roller roller cart you know check bags and <laughs> got to you know first you got to go through agricultural inspection which is what oh. I was worried about not the TSA, because if you bring an apple off the island, you know, you're, you're going to be in trouble for that. And that's what right. they're looking for. And I watched these bags, just one over the, through the neck, just go through their machine that, you know, x-rays everything. And the guy didn't even flinch. 
I just, I just <laughs> went through, you didn't ask me a single question, and off we went. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I've seen everything. <laughs> I figured it'd be okay. I'd brought a bunch of bones in my carry-on on an earlier trip, and they went through, and, and, and this time the woman noticed. She's like, what's up? What are you, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm an artist, so this is part of a project I'm working on. She's like, that's cool. And then she started talking about my necklace, which was a traditional Hawaiian Nihau uh, nice. necklace. And so, yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> Just the course of everyday conversation through Hawaiian TSA. Um, <laughs> that's fantastic. All right. I was, I was also going to kind of, um, I want to explore here a little bit, like um, you have been creating from, from a very young age. And I'm interested that you were drawn to 3D so early. Um, like, and, and you were talking about, you know, stay open as an artist. And I kind of see that as a, you know, kind of a, a, a springboarding, springboarding into the point to stay open, to be creative, you know, really no matter what you do for a living, I'm thinking there's creativity in everyone. And it feeds us, um, as I said earlier, in tangible and intangible ways. But, uh, <laughs> as I also like to say, but don't like to say life can suck it out of you. And we're all out there trying to make a living and there's some rough stuff going on. Um, just trying to stay, you know, in survival mode <laughs> to get by. Sometimes you're doing it ad nauseum all the time, working constantly because that's just how your life is. And where is the impetus to create when you can kind of be beat down and um, cynicism is, you know, also tangible sometimes beneficial and <laughs> in practical ways, but I don't know. Um, Andrew, I'm, you know, for the audience, not all of them are creatives. We hope that anyone who's listening can be inspired by all of these conversations about making a living as a creative. It, it's a tough um, thing to do. I had one um, musician who's a world-class violinist tell me, you know, everything, everybody thinks all these artists have their heads in the clouds and, I don't know any artists that I know or work with or am inspired by that have their heads in the clouds. Like there's practical um, approach to trying to make a living that way, but also trying to nurture your art and grow your talent and take risks like you're doing and, and encouraging other artists to take risks just by being a gallery owner. I mean, those artists that you're helping to, you know, um, shape how they put themselves into the world and that's inspiring too. So, you know, there's business involved, but there's creativity involved. And, and there's a big ball of it that people who consider themselves not creative, they kind of don't understand. But I say dig deep, you know, it's in you. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly all humans are, are creative. Um, it's just a matter of opening yourself up to that, understanding your your potential as a human rather regardless of what you know career field you enter into creativity is is probably one of the most important things um now if you want to be uh, a rocket engineer well you have to be good at math and no matter no matter how much creativity you have it's not going to get you there so you know <laughs> different things that we will succeed at um but being an artist is is the sort of thing that I believe anybody can succeed at if they if they want to. Um, you know, my whole life I was told by art teachers that you know you're ne you can't you're never gonna make a living at this. 
And I was just like, this is a horrible thing to say. I mean, I realized so much advantage I do now. And uh, I mean, also some of those art teachers are still in the area and, you know, they, they gave up their art career to, to be art teachers. That's right. They weren't, I don't know, they weren't driven or brave enough, or they just didn't understand that you can do it. You can, you can do, and you can't do everything, but you can do anything. And, and if you're going to be an artist, you, you need to approach it like becoming a Navy SEAL. Like you got to have discipline. You've got to get up and you've just got to work. You know, if I was to give advice to young artists, it's like, it's about the work, do the work, have confidence in your work. And, um, I'm sorry. No worries. <laughs> I forgot to. Okay. No, that's all right. Um, yeah. Back to, uh, yeah. Discipline, repetition. Absolutely. Discipline, rep repetition and, and, um, you know, the audacity to believe that you can do this because because you can. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to work hard and, and manifest it, and and it, it will be. You know, or you'll or you'll drift into something else that you know. Oh, I'm actually meant. I mean, I do love art, but I I feel even more driven towards this, and of course, you'll have benefited from your experience. But I just don't buy into this thing that it's just impossible to be an artist and and so difficult. It's like you want it, you'll get it. And that's kind of how I, it's taken me 40 years to realize that. Um, but I, I know it now. And if you fail in one way, just keep going. You'll, you'll find success if you just work and try and you're honest and authentic in what you're doing. I mean, you can't just chase that fame and that success. That won't get you there. It has to start with the work and the creativity. Right. That's going to take the next step. Because being an artist is running a business, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. um, you may get to a certain point where, well, now you've got a, a great gallery that's representing you and sure they're taking care of that part of it. You're not hustling at craft fairs and things like that. You, you, you've been savvy enough to somehow connect with, you know, a gallery and now, now it's their job to do that. But you always got to sell yourself. It's, it's just a huge a huge part of it you just you know that's what you what you have to do and what you should want to do you're sharing you're bearing your soul in your artwork so you know maybe maybe bear your soul in other ways and, and <laughs> I, I like that and i think too that if you um back to what you said you know if you're focused on fame and success that's also a focused on you're prioritizing um external input regarding your own creativity and you know, prioritizing the work means digging deep and that's hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah it, it, it's hard. I mean, I, I, I have a studio practice that involves me being in my studio every morning at 5 a.m. Um, almost every day, you know, if, if I'm sick or if I know my family needs me, well, then, then I'm not going to be there. But um, unless there's, if I'm just tired, I'm going to be there. And um, that's helped my creativity tremendously because I'm not just working when I'm inspired to work. I'm working always. And then that feeds into your creativity. The one thing goes to the next. And now I don't ever have to think about, well, what am I going to do next? I mean, I've got a gigantic list, both in my head and more importantly, written down of pieces, ideas, things, you know, and I just follow follow my instincts with that, even if they're taking me someplace where I don't necessarily see it huge commercial potential, but it's right. always there. You know, 
yeah. if I get urban cow into the right place, I can have success with that. It's not necessarily here at my gallery. Um, you might have to find a different venue, <laughs> which isn't easy for <laughs> galleries, but you just have to go after it. Yeah. Go after it again when you say no. <laughs> it's a numbers game. If you, you approach 10, 10 galleries and you do it the right way, you know, somebody's going to say yeah. And you need to put in the door and don't blow that opportunity. Right. Yeah. Someone told me once about, um, I got an artist into a design house here in Jackson Hole. And uh, I asked a friend, well, what if they say yes? And he said, well, just act like you've been there before, Jen. <laughs> and so, yeah, I had to save the fist pump for the parking lot. Um, I wanted to read the quote from your site on your upcoming exhibit, if you don't mind. Please. Over the past several years, I've been spending an intensive amount of time working, living and learning about the island of Kauai. Much of the artwork in this exhibition was created at my studio there. The other portion of the show is based on my experience living in the Pacific Northwest. The nature of these two similarly, dis similarly disparate places is my focus. There are many differences between the two places, yet even more similarities. Many of the same shells and sea creatures can be found on their shores, interpreted through my sculpture and paintings. And you are working um, kind of in, in an experimental way with painting. You're kind of you're saying you're playing around with it, but I love that you're marrying the two um, together in this exhibit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, how all of this has inspired the use of the paint? and Congress with your existing experience in sculpture, which is um, just gorgeous. You know, you're, you're, you're practiced at it. It's beautiful, but you're taking some risks here and I like it. Uh, yes. You know, I finally got to a point with sculpture where um, I was, I was meeting with a lot of success with it and important people were buying it and, and important galleries were interested in representing it. So it's definitely time to stop that and do something that nobody really responds to or likes. No, <laughs> I'm half kidding about that. I'll never stop sculpting because it's just in me and I love it. But um, so, okay, so back to Trans-Pacific and Kauai. I mean, the reason I ended up painting the way I'm painting was um, being in Kauai. Um, I always seek out other artists and they, they find me one way or another. And the artists there were using um, cans, as they call it, spray paint. Um, and so I started working with some of those those fellas and I just I just completely fell in love with it you know the speed of it and all the color and all that and um, I just couldn't stop doing it you know I had been working towards becoming a, more of a painter which I did as a young person I was more as a young person more involved in drawing watercolor painting and all that and then um, put it away for a put it away for a long time um, and and then got because the sculpture took over. Um, For sure. So Return to that, but I struggled like oh, oils and acrylics, and it just wasn't it just wasn't happening. And then the minute I picked up those cans and started using that, I just I just felt it. Um, and it's opening it just opened up a lot for me. Where I, I think I'll, I'll again work with more traditional means of painting because using the cans is it, it's good, but it's a little bit of a blunt instrument. Um, so for me anyway, I'm just, you know, very, I'm a beginner painter, um, but I'm a very, you know, I'm a, I'm a mid-career artist. So but I'm taking on this thing where it, it takes me, it's taking me back 10 years in terms of my skill set. 
way I got 10 years to, to become a, a painter. Yeah, and I love beginner brain. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> I mean, come on, because you literally have no idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> You're like, well, I could try it this way, but it doesn't mean it's going to work. But who gives a shit? This is really fun. <laughs> it is. It's very fun. And um, the the sculpture has been an influence on the painting, and the painting then influences back to, to the sculpture in ways. Um, and just made me more open to, um, you know, being taking more chances and more, uh, yeah, more chances, more risk uh, with the with the painting. Right, and I see. I mean, your gallery is. Um, it looks like there's a lot going on. You've got a lot of things planned and a really great um, kind of uh, like inventory of artists who are contributing in really wonderful ways. And I wish I could go there. <laughs> You should. You can. I know. <laughs> I know you're a person, but you can do anything you want to do. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't have a lot of money to travel right now, but um, for sure, uh, Washington State is always on my list. And I love LeConnor. Um, uh, Tom Robbins is one of my favorite authors. I know speaking back to that time, they were talking about the mystics. And um, it was a fully rounded kind of um, cultural time in, in that area that it wasn't always about visual art. There are writers up there and poets. And um, it, I mean, Washington state is just a rich, um, amazing place, uh, both for nature and for art. And yeah, always on my list of to do. And, you know, as a graduate of Edmonds community college, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe I should visit my alma mater. <laughs> but anyway, um, Andrew, this has been such a great pleasure. And remind us again when the show is. It's October, right? Sure. Uh, my show, Trans Pacific, is going to be up for the month of October at Smith and Valley Gallery in Edison, Washington. It's a delightful town to come visit. Um, I hope it's going to be a super interesting show. Variety of mediums, film, um, sculpture, painting, um, and um, yeah, so the month of October, the artist reception will be Saturday, October 7th. Nice. And then this will go up right just prior to that. And remind me too of what your Instagram handle is because follow, follow. Yeah, my Instagram ha handle is uh, Valley Andrew. All right, perfect. Well, like I said, this has been a joy and I'm really digging your art. I'm so pleased that we get an opportunity to meet one another. Uh, thanks again to Liz Park. Shout out this episode sponsored by Liz Park once again. And uh, <laughs> great to meet you. Thank you again. As well, thank you very much for letting me talk about my art here. Cheers. Cheers. Advanced Pretend is a podcast produced by Nine Stories Creative Podcast Studios, created by Jen Ryan, executive produced and edited by Matt Jackson. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.